Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show. If you want to catch up on any of my past work, whether this show or anything I've written, you can go to www.chrisrawl.com. You can find me on Twitter and on Facebook, at Chris Rawl. And if you want to contact me for any reason, please email me, chris at ceo.com. Now we move on to today's episode. In a league currently defined by signal callers, two NFL teams go all in on their quarterbacks. It is becoming increasingly apparent that today's NFL is an arms race at the quarterback position. Now, I'm not breaking any news by saying it is a passing league. That is the driving force and the easiest pathway to success in present-day football, collegiate and NFL. The NFL, it seems like every single year, is leaning further and further into that path. Rules changes, just the development of young passers and the incredible talent that's on display, just pushing us down this road more than ever before that the NFL is a quarterback's league. Now, understanding that, we start to get a sense that a clear divide starts to occur within the NFL between the haves and the have-nots at the quarterback position. I draw a parallel to college football. I talk a lot about how there's a clear line of demarcation between those teams at the tippy top, the teams that recruit so well and so much talent onto their roster that it seems almost unfair to compare them to the rest of the nation. You look at Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State and teams of that ilk, teams that are signing top five classes year in, year out, 25, 30 people, half of those are going on to the NFL, and you compare them across the nation, you say there's just a clear distinction between what that team can do and what a team like Illinois could do or Wisconsin or South Carolina. Now, the NFL, it's not as stark because the NFL has a lot of parity. But when you start trying to trace where divides occur, the number one most notable thing that I believe exists, and I think people who are in charge of building these teams have identified, is at the signal caller position. Do we have a star or do we not? Very simple, binary way of looking at the team building process. Now, to represent what I think has kind of occurred over the last, let's say, 20 years, this shift in how many teams think you have to have a star quarterback compared to what we felt in 2000, where, yeah, it'd be great to have a star quarterback, but I don't think teams were willing to try and move heaven and earth over and over and over and over and over with the end goal always being, we just have to have a quarterback or else we are screwed. Now, to represent this, I'm going to read some words from Ravens general manager, Eric DaCosta. He's been there for a really long time, well-respected dude within the industry. He's been the architect of two different Super Bowl winning teams in his time with Baltimore. And those two teams had Trent Dilfer and Joe Flacco under center. Two quarterbacks that you would not necessarily associate with being stars. So Eric DaCosta, He's talking to The Athletic the other day, and this is a quote that I want to read from him. Really? What we see now is it is very, very hard to win in the NFL without a blue-chip quarterback. It just is. There are certainly going to be anomalies. But to think that we could win a Super Bowl like we did in 2000 with primarily a dominant defense, that's very hard to do now. The game has changed. The rules have changed. The way that teams play has changed. The passing game is more important than ever, end quote. So you see from a dude who knows 
he's echoing the sentiments that I think all of us feel. It is a passing league, and it's more important than ever. And yes, it's still possible to do a lot of things. However, the way that the game is currently played, it pushes you down a certain path to where Baltimore's drafting Lamar Jackson because they think we need a star at this position. Quarterback is more important than it's ever been. And to think that we could create a team like we did in 2000 with Trent Dilfer under center and this incredible defense, yeah, that still could work in a certain way, but it just seems really hard to win a Super Bowl compared to Let's get Lamar Jackson and unleash him and build around that. I think the, the common frame of thought coming out of last year's playoffs is a lot of people point to the Buffalo-Kansas City playoff game. Just the level of quarterback play from Mahomes and Josh Allen. And I think a lot of NFL teams looked at that and said, could we survive in a playoff game like that with the quarterback that we currently have? And the vast majority of teams, they're saying no. And the ones that have stars, they're going, okay. If we say yes to the quarterback position, what can we do to go all in around that quarterback? So that leads us to this week's news. Biggest news out of the NFL. It's the first two dominoes that needed to fall for the whole quarterback uh, moving chair situation, Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. So we identify it's a passing league. Understanding that if you're trying to build out a team, you got to be willing to move heaven and earth in order to retain in the case of Aaron Rodgers or acquire in the case of Russell Wilson a star quarterback. So we'll start with Rodgers. This week, Green Bay, they uh, agree to re-sign him and they go against everything they have stood for in the past by agreeing to not only re-sign Aaron Rodgers, but the unwritten part is we are going all in. There's no way around this because of what this is going to take out of our cap and what we're going to have to do salary cap gymnastic-wise in order to make this work. We think we have a Super Bowl contending team in place. That's evidenced by the fact Green Bay has won 13 games each of the last three seasons. That's the first time in the history of the NFL any team has done that. They say, we got a good team in place. Uh, If we can just convince Rodgers to come back, we think we can give another shot. Maybe win next year or maybe win the year after. Now, in order to make that happen, they have to lean into what a team like the Saints has been doing over the last few years. As Drew Brees' career came to a close, And every year they're going all in and they're cramming this person under the cap and pushing cap hits down the road and saying, we'll pay the bill, but it's not this year. And just really creating a a situation where you knew you were going to have to pay for all of these moves, but it's not going to be this year. We'll do more gymnastics and do this and do this and do this. And we'll worry about it down the road. And that's where Green Bay is headed. Again, a stark contrast to past philosophy of this franchise in the past, especially under Ted Thompson, when he was GM. Keep a clean cap sheet. Uh, Don't go overboard signing free agents, draft and develop. And most importantly, never move all of your chips into the center of the table. Been something that has frustrated me as I've watched this incredible talent under center and said, you owe it to this person. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to your franchise and your fans and everybody who's a part of this to go all in around this. You have the best quarterback in the league for many of these years. And instead, let's kick the can down the road. No, let's keep the cap clean. No, we don't need to go out and splurge on any free agents. Let's just let's sit on our hands and trust that Rodgers can take us to the playoffs. And yeah, he can. But once they arrived there, what would occur is they would always run into teams that had talent at the quarterback position and more importantly, had a much better infrastructure around that quarterback, thus resulting in a lot of years that Green Bay fell short in the playoffs. So now Green Bay is saying, nope, the new era. And it might be only one more year. It might be a couple years, but 
we are ready to abide by the philosophy that teams in the recent past who have won Super Bowls are abiding by. We are ready to go all in right now. Now, the Denver Broncos, they're in a similar but slightly different situation than Green Bay, but where they are arriving is the same destination because Denver has been wandering the quarterback wilderness since Peyton Manning retired in 2016. I mean, they have just thrown some people onto the field that you might as well have put Chris Rawl under center and just let me get beat up and lose some games and get high draft picks. Instead, they're throwing out Paxton Lynch and Brock Osweiler and Trevor Simeon and Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, taste this type of quarterback play for years and years and years, and you understand how a franchise will do absolutely anything to upgrade that position because they're getting beat up on. And they also say, we got a pretty good roster around this. We just don't have a quarterback. And they also are understanding by the day we are moving further and further into a league that is all about passing. And if it's all about passing, then man, we got to have a quarterback. So Denver goes out and trades for Russell Wilson from Seattle. They give up two first rounders, two second rounders, a fifth rounder. They ship out Drew Locke, uh, Noah Fant, tight end, Shelby Harris, defensive lineman for Wilson and a fourth round pick back from Seattle. Now, you look at that and you could see it one of two ways. You go, that's a big haul if Russell Wilson is this more diminished version of Wilson that he's been over the last few years. And that would be true. You could also say this is nothing if Russell Wilson can be what he once was. Say five years ago when he was just one of the very best quarterbacks in the league, running around in the pocket, bombing it downfield. It kind of depends on what Russell Wilson can be moving forward, which is the case with a lot of this stuff, I guess. But more than saying oh, who I think or what I think Russell Wilson's going to be in this situation, I, I rather want to look at it through the lens of Denver's mindset and their willingness to just say, we're shipping out a lot of assets and it totally could bite us in the ass. And man, we're not even sure if we have better than the third best quarterback in this division. And holy cow, this AFC West is going to be a tough division this upcoming year. But we know we have a good team in place. We got young talent. We got reasonable offense outside of quarterback. We got a really good defense coming back from last year. So now we need to abide by the philosophy of a lot of other teams. We are willing to go all in around a quarterback. So these are the two franchises that we see right now with these all-in lenses on, you know, saying, all right, now is the time. The time is now. Now I want to read something else that kind of examines this shift in philosophy and why I think teams more than ever are going down this road compared to in the past. And I want to make note of this because I think uh, we become prisoners of the moment. And I say that including myself. And it just seems so obvious that, yeah, you need a good quarterback, that it seems hard to remember times when we didn't even fully think that. And yet it's not that long ago that this was kind of the case. So. To illustrate this, I want to read a couple paragraphs from Stephen Holder of The Athletic. Success and failure in the NFL is determined by quarterback play more than ever. What that means is that NFL teams are increasingly lumped into one of two classifications, those with an elite franchise quarterback and those without one. Where would you rather be? And what would you be willing to do to go from the latter group to the former? Tuesday provided some answers. This reality brought about by years of rule changes and philosophical shifts, has turned the entire NFL on its head. Everything from strategy to the primary focus of player acquisition has been altered. There were seven running backs selected in the first round of the 1987 draft. 
Today, you'd have to comb through the past four NFL drafts to come up with seven first-round running back selections. Another example, just for kicks. There was a grand total of zero quarterbacks drafted in the first round in the 1984 and 1985 drafts. That kind of outcome is incomprehensible today. We are living in an era when the 49ers last year traded three first-round picks in a third-round choice for the right to draft Trey Lance, all while they had a quarterback on their roster, Jimmy Garoppolo, who had started in a Super Bowl two years prior. End quote. So a lot of really incredible information contained within that stuff from Holder. The 1980s stats, I continually am just overwhelmed and I can't get enough of the ways that teams thought in the past compared to present day that seems so outlandish and insane. And yet the 1980s is not that far removed from where we are. Teams were going overboard for first-round running backs. You got to get the big running back. You got to get Marcus Allen and Eric Dickerson and just all of these tailbacks drafting them in the first rounds. It seems incomprehensible. He's right that in the 1984 and 1985 drafts, there were zero quarterbacks drafted in the first round. Incredible. You look at a draft like right now, when everyone agrees there's probably no good quarterbacks in this draft. But even with that understanding, you see every mock draft, it's throwing at least three quarterbacks in that first round. Yeah, Kenny Pickett's going to go because teams just have to draft quarterbacks. And somebody's going to talk themselves into it. And yeah, Malik Willis will be in here too. And yeah, maybe Matt Corral. There's all sorts of stuff that's going into this. In a draft that everybody agrees does not have very good quarterback prospects. It's just an incredible shift in the way that the league is, the way that teams think, the way that teams are now willing to go from that former group to the latter group, like he said, to move from those without an elite franchise quarterback to a team that has one. What are you willing to do to jump from one area to the other? So I kind of look back on, this is a little side subject, but within the NBA, I look back on the LeBron decision as kind of the catalyst for the player movement era that we've entered into. LeBron, he sees kind of a shifting landscape within the NBA. And he goes, actually, I kind of have all the power. And so I can choose where I want to go and I can just play out my contracts and then go and pick wherever I want. And the first time he does this is when he leaves Cleveland because he doesn't think he can win a title there and justifiably so that time and says, I'm going to go to Miami because this is a much better situation and I think I can win there. And he was right. Uh, a lot of people were angry about it. A lot of people had a problem with how it was handled and just what it represented, all this kind of stuff. But the decision in and of itself kind of ushered in a new era where players were very comfortable saying, eh, I have the power here and I want to try and go to the situation that is best for me. Now, I bring this up because within the recent past, we're kind of seeing a similar shift within the NFL. It's not as drastic. It can never be as drastic as what the NBA has because players have so much more control than they do in the NFL. However, as I look at team building strategy and especially quarterbacks and their ability to identify a similar concept that if I'm a star quarterback, it's not just enough for me to be playing and dragging my team to playoffs. I would like to be in a prime situation. Now, Tom Brady to Tampa Bay, I kind of look at is similar to the LeBron decision. It seems like the moment that is ushering in this really recent, but also really prevalent new era within the NFL. Kind of the possible catalyst for 
Quarterbacks upgrading their situation and for teams understanding we need an elite signal caller. And so we're always going to try and be trading for them, drafting them, doing whatever we can to get players of this caliber. Brady, he looks at his current New England roster at that time and says, no, this is not enough. And I need a much better situation. And he looked around the league and found the very best situation and went and signed with Tampa and won a Super Bowl. And off the heels of that, I think Aaron Rodgers looked at that and said, hmm, that's what I want and used Brady's movement from New England to Tampa Bay as leverage against his own franchise to improve his standing, his input, and most importantly, his situation in Green Bay and say, I know that there are some things in here that are good. However, I kind of need an agreement from you because I know that I'm really good and I know that maybe I could improve my situation if I go elsewhere, but I like it here in Green Bay. And I just want a commitment that you guys are willing to go all in as a franchise to try and win a Super Bowl now. I think that's illustrated by what has occurred over the last year since he aired his grievances in that press conference last offseason. And the fact that he's sitting here in present day and talking about how he's really improved his relationship with the front office, Russ Ball and Brian Gutekunst, and how they've done a lot of the things that he's asked for. And it's been really beneficial for everybody involved, him, them, just the team in general. On the hills of all this stuff, Matt Stafford last offseason, follow suit says Detroit Lions, no, this is just, I've been dwelling in a cesspool of a franchise and I'd love to improve my situation. And the LA Rams said, what would it be like if we can upgrade from Jared Goff, who we're still going to the playoffs with and put Matt Stafford in? Now we know they could win a Super Bowl. That's the line that you can cross if you are willing to take the leap of faith. It could be a re-sign with Aaron Rodgers and promise to go all in. It could be a free agent signing as Tom Brady was. It could be a shipping out a bunch of assets to acquire Matt Stafford or Russell Wilson. But you're seeing a continued and increased willingness of teams to jump that line and say, there's really no price that I'm not willing to pay if I think I have a ready-made roster to win a Super Bowl, but quarterback is what's holding me back. So Wilson to Denver, it's kind of a, it's an interesting full circle transformation from the team building strategy side. I've talked about this in the past, but it's really interesting to highlight it again in present day because of what it represents from where Wilson was when he was drafted and what that represented for Seattle and how the league really, really, really tried to emulate what Seattle was doing at that time. Rookie quarterback contract build around it. And now what we're seeing in present day with Wilson's new situation. A ready-made quarterback getting put into a situation that already exists. Uh, to illustrate this, I want to read something else. This comes from Danny Heifetz at The Ringer. Wilson's mile-high arrival overloads an already stacked AFC West and makes Denver a Super Bowl contender. For Wilson, it's a chance to prove he's a Tier 1 elite quarterback in today's NFL and, perhaps, to prove he is an all-time great. After 10 years in Seattle, Wilson's career has come full circle. When he entered the league, he was a game manager and the archetype for a new team-building strategy, structuring rosters around young quarterbacks whose salaries were limited by the 2011 collective bargaining agreement. Now he becomes the latest in a line of savior quarterbacks brought in to bring a good team to glory. End quote. So this stuff is fascinating to me. And how quickly the entire league shifts its focus and its understanding, and just the thought process behind what is the best way to create a winning franchise right now, to try and win a Super Bowl right now. Wilson with Seattle, he ushered in the rookie quarterback contract era. Drafted later on, making less than a million dollars per year for the duration of his rookie contract. 
And he comes in and he's a game manager. He is. He's not the free will and Russ Wilson that we know over the last five plus years where he's throwing bombs, dancing around in the pocket. He was asked to hand the ball off to Marshawn Lynch, not turn the ball over. And Seattle was able to make a lot of signings and pump money into their defense. The Legion of Boom, you know, they draft Earl Thomas and they got Cam Chancellor and Richard Sherman. And with the money they save on Russell Wilson's rookie contract, they're able to sign people like Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill on the defensive line. And they flush out this defense amongst the best I've ever watched in my whole life. They're able to win a Super Bowl. They're able to play for another Super Bowl. And it was the envy of the entire NFL. Everybody wanted that particular situation. Oh man, I would give anything to have rookie quarterback on a cheap contract that allows me to flush out the rest of my roster. Now, the last couple of years, it's been a shift in the opposite direction. It's not to say that people don't want that rookie quarterback. People obviously want that. But it seems like we're seeing a more noticeable shift into let's create the situation first. Let's put it in place like we have in Tampa, like we have in place with the Rams, like we have in place with the Broncos. And then when a quarterback is on the market, whether a free agent or via trade, you're going to go and get that person and plop them in. And then we are ready to go right now. So it's, uh, it's Russell Wilson going from one end of the team building spectrum to the other. Rookie quarterback contract into let's build the situation first and get the quarterback later. So now he enters into the AFC West. And I mean, just what a bloodbath this division is going to be because two of the teams outside of Denver are sitting there going, we are so comfortable with our quarterbacks moving forward. Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes. I mean, you couldn't get more talented players that you feel better about. Kansas City, they know they're in their win-now window. They've been doing that for years. I think the Chargers are starting to feel that crunch of, we already have this guy on a rookie contract. He is already one of the five best quarterbacks in the league. We are in this division that, holy cow, this is going to be hard every week because the worst quarterback in the league is Derek Carr, and he's still a really good NFL quarterback. The Raiders made the playoffs last year. And so now all these teams are going to be sitting here feeling this crunch. We owe it to ourselves to try and win now because we have good quarterbacks. How do we do that within this division? How do we do that within this conference with so many stars elsewhere? Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, uh, Joe Burrow. There's so much young quarterback talent on the AFC side. On the NFC side, Green Bay is, they're imitating the same urgency as Denver, just in a slightly different way. It's not creating the situation and then plucking a quarterback from elsewhere. It's slowly arriving at the understanding we need to make the situation better for our already existing quarterback who has voiced this numerous times over the years. We're going to do that. And now he's going to feel comfortable coming back to us because we have a situation that with him at the helm, we could win a Super Bowl. And if you're Green Bay and you're looking at that, they have to understand the opposite side of that coin, that line of demarcation that I talked about earlier. Do we have an elite quarterback or do we not? And the other side of the situational coin is we got a lot of players that we like. Devontae Adams. Oh, yeah. Kenny Clark. Oh, man. There's David Bakhtiari, Eldon Jenkins. There's a lot of really high-level players on this Green Bay roster. But if Rodgers walks or retires and Jordan Love is the starter and he's at the helm of this franchise going into next year, we know exactly what kind of team we are going to be. That is a rebuilding situation. It just is. There's no way around it. I think Green Bay understood that. I think that's why you've seen a shift over the last couple of years in what Green Bay is willing to do from a front office perspective and how they are ready and willing to go more in on the present than they were in the past. So now I want to read something else. 
This comes from Steven Ruiz at The Ringer. Look at the recent track record for teams that chose a more patient rebuild, which seemed to be option number two for the Packers this offseason. Those include the Browns, Dolphins, and Colts. All teams that didn't take shortcuts, all teams that did everything right when it came to collecting draft capital and managing the cap, years later, those teams have nothing to show for it. You don't get to hang banners for having a healthy cap situation. If you could, Indianapolis would have done it by now. Two off-seasons ago, the Packers were seemingly headed down that path. The team had just fallen one game short of the Super Bowl, and the 36-year-old Rodgers' career seemed to be winding down. Yet rather than using all their resources to add weapons around Rodgers and go all-in for another run or two, the front office traded up to draft Rodgers' likely replacement in the first round, they followed that by picking A.J. Dillon to back up Aaron Jones, and then they took a fullback tight end who has touched the ball 26 times during the first two years of his career. When the dust settled on the 2020 offseason, Devin Funchess was the only significant addition to the receiver room, and he never even played a game for the team. If Green Bay's plans for the future included Rodgers, it didn't show. End quote. So it's kind of crazy to look back two years ago, because I was filled with so much frustration at this time, because I was ranting, raving about all the things that Ruiz just laid out. Like, hey, I still think Rodgers has stuff left in the tank. You just hired a new coach in Matt LaFleur. You guys don't seem like you are ready and willing to try and win now. You're saying, ah, yeah, let's just, Rodgers, whatever, he's 36 years old. We're going to pick Josiah DeGuaro and a backup at running back, A.J. Dillon, and we're going to pick a quarterback in the first round that he's not playing in the near future if things go according to the best plan, which is we're trying to win a Super Bowl. And they're not doing anything in free agency. Devin Funches, who doesn't even play. And Green Bay explodes that season. Again, 13 wins. And I'm sitting there going, as I'm watching what happened in the last three years of playoffs, but really within that Tampa game where just you've changed one of many plays and Green Bay's winning. And I'm going, oh, I would have loved if out of our first three draft choices, a first rounder, a second rounder, and a third rounder, we had anybody who was contributing to this game, which they didn't. Would have been a very valuable commodity to have in that game. (laughs) But to Green Bay's credit, uh, I think they've understood, hey, Rodgers actually is still really good. And, you know, fingers crossed, we don't know when that's ending. It doesn't look like anytime soon because he's been the MVP of the damn league the last two years. Tom Brady was, he led the league in passing and passing yards, and he's six years older than Rodgers right now. And so we owe it to this quarterback and we owe it to this franchise to try and win right now. So let's do a better job of going all in on the present. This is always what my heart has desired as a fan, as a person who loves the Packers, person who loves Aaron Rodgers. And I know how this works. Uh, We're a really results-based society when it comes to discussing this kind of stuff. And if this goes south for the Packers, if they don't win another Super Bowl, if they're stuck in salary cap hell for the next half decade or whatever, you know, people are going to come and piss on Green Bay. That's just the way that we talk about this kind of stuff. There's not a lot of room for nuance and there's not a lot of room for discussion about process relative to results. More just what happened, well, then you were either right or wrong. Now, I will say in present day, regardless of how this turns out, uh, this is what I want. This is how I think an NFL team with a star quarterback should conduct themselves. Just what I believe the correct process is. This is my mindset. You have a star quarterback in the NFL. You owe it to yourself to go all in around them. The recent Super Bowl winners, they've shown that. 
I just don't understand how you could sit here in 2022 in a league that everybody agrees, offense first, passing first, quarterback first. I don't understand how you could sit here and think anything differently, especially in a league that moves at lightning speed. Your window can open and shut in the blink of an eye. And especially in a league that has clearly identified a line of demarcation between these teams that have talented quarterbacks on the one side and the teams that do not on the other side. It's can you survive in the Chiefs-Bills playoffs game? Well, if not, you're on the other side. It's just a really simple black and white way of looking at the NFL in present day and then trying to build your team. In closing, I want to read one more thing that kind of shows uh, the shift and what we're seeing and how willing teams are to go all in especially around quarterback and say, now's the time, the time is now. This comes from Bill Barnwell at ESPN. As much as the Seahawks are moving on from Wilson as an individual, this is an ideological shift for them back to what Carroll believes is the correct formula for winning football games. They won a Super Bowl with a dominant defense, a physical run game, and a quarterback they drafted in the third round who was making peanuts and threw the ball 25 times per game. They evolved into a team with one of the most expensive quarterbacks in football, and that couldn't rush the passer. I don't think Carroll, in his heart, believed that change was for the better. In the big picture, though, the Broncos have traded their way into NFL relevance. You can win a Super Bowl without a superstar quarterback, but so many things have to go right for that to happen. You need to somehow have home field advantage and have your backup get hot, like the Eagles in 2017. You need a dominant defense to carry an average passer over the line. As the Baltimore Ravens did in 2000, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did in 2001, and the New York Giants did in 2007. We've seen Eli Manning and Joe Flacco get white hot for a postseason. Garoppolo came within one throw of winning a Super Bowl. A broken down Peyton Manning was carried to his second Super Bowl by Von Miller, Demarcus Ware, and Malik Jackson. It can happen. If you want to pursue the most likely path toward winning a Super Bowl, though, you get a great quarterback. The guy the Broncos ended up agreeing to acquire might not be the one we expected when the day started. But I don't have any reason to believe that Wilson will disappoint in Denver. It might only be a spot at the Super Bowl contention table, but the Broncos can feel like they belong there for the first time in years. And after the Seahawks spent a decade entering every season feeling like they also belonged in that conversation, the Broncos just took their chair. Thank you for listening to The Chris Rawl Show. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. Remember to subscribe and download and rate and review this show on whatever podcast platform you listen to it on. Thank you. Go and enjoy your weekend.